Future CEOs, Episode 1. So you want to be a CEO? Sure, go ahead, read your ABCs of Managing book. Or if you really want to be a CEO, then keep on listening to this Future CEOs podcast with your host, Gareth Armstrong, as he gets you up close and personal with real-world CEOs, thought leaders, and industry experts to learn from their experiences and the insight and wisdom they've gained while leading in these challenging and ever-changing times. Are you ready? Then let's do this. Welcome back, everybody. Now, it's been said it's all about who you know when it comes to landing that perfect job or getting ahead in general. So how do we do that? Can Facebook, social media help or can it hurt you? Mm, good question. We're turning to our next guest for answers, Dr. Ivan Meisner, author and networking expert. Our guest today is the founder and chairman of the world's largest business networking organization. In addition to being the founder of BNI, he's also the author of number one bestseller, The 29% Solution, and New York Times bestseller, Truth or Delusion. Uh, Dr. Meisner is considered to be one of the world-leading experts on business uh, networking. One of my favorite guests, CNN calls him the father of modern networking. Entrepreneur Magazine calls him the networking guru. I call him my good friend, Dr. Ivan Meisner. Ivan, welcome back to the show. BNI was founded in 1985, and the organization now has 6,300 chapters throughout every populated continent of the world. Last year alone, BNI generated 7.1 million referrals, resulting in over 3.3 billion U.S. dollars worth of business for its members. He's a monthly columnist for Entrepreneur.com and Fox Business News. He has been featured in the L.A. Times, Wall Street Journal, and New York Times, as well as numerous TV and radio shows, including CNN, the BBC, and the Today Show on NBC, and was recently named Humanitarian of the Year by the Red Cross. Hello and welcome to this Future CEOs podcast. I'm Gareth Armstrong, and it's great to be with you today. After that introduction, very little more needs saying about today's guest, Dr. Ivan Meisner. So much so, in fact, that let's just jump straight into the very, very interesting and very insightful discussion I had with him a few days ago. Grab a pen and paper because you're going to be wanting to take some notes. Here it is. Welcome, Dr. Meisner. Welcome to Future CEOs. It's great to have you. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation to be on. Let's start with a little bit of uh, light chatter. So you're all the way in California. How's the weather? <laughs> Well, it's it's pretty hot in Southern California, although my office is in Southern California. I actually live in Austin, Texas. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's a lot of commuting. It is a fair amount. However, I travel so much these days that, uh, you know, I, I've actually spent about three weeks in Austin since uh, May of this year. So oh, really? my, my home is really hotels. Okay. So, yeah, home is where your rump rests, as Pumbaa said in The Lion King, I think. That's about right. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for being with us. We really appreciate your time and um, we're going to really appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom as you begin sharing it. So maybe let's kick off. I mean, you've got a great journey. You've got a great story. Uh, that journey is very important to our future CEO listeners. Uh, would you mind sharing some details, maybe how you grew up and one or two early influences that uh, shaped who you are today? Sure. And for those people who don't know me, I'm, I'm the founder of an organization called BNI. Uh, it stands for Business Network International. And um, we're a referral organization. I have about 6,900 groups in 57 countries uh, around the world. 
Uh, we allow one person per profession. They get together and pass each other referrals. Um, you know, I'd like to tell you that I uh, had this vision of an international organization, but uh, my goal was to try and uh, help my friends get referrals and help myself get referrals. And um, things just kind of snowballed. And uh, we now have, like I said, almost 7,000 groups all around the world. Yeah, fantastic. So uh, you asked a little bit about my background. Uh, I uh, actually grew up in a uh, kind of lower income neighborhood in uh, Southern California. It's called Azusa. Um, went to uh, uh, a local college. I was accepted at a private university, but I couldn't afford it. Um, I had, a, I had a, a scholarship, but it only paid about half. And I was pretty confident I was going to go into graduate school, and I didn't want to go so far in debt it would take me ever to get, uh, take me forever to get out. So. I actually went to a little community college, um, Citrus College, for two years, then uh, transferred over to a state university. I went to a state university, uh, and it was a graduate school that I went to a private university. I went to USC, and it was a real eye-opener in terms of money because one semester at that private university cost me more than my entire bachelor's degree. Oh, really? So it was, it was uh, and that's where I took out my loans, but... So I, you know, I, I really grew up in very modest, um, a very modest environment. Uh, my my dad still lives in the house I grew up in. Um, they, you know, they, they've been in that house for oh, probably over fifty years. Mm. So uh, yeah, still lives in the same place. Uh, but I had a great upbringing, good family, uh, just a kind of a, a very modest uh, background. Lessons that you maybe learned as you grew up that way. Yeah, you know, um, probably a few things. Um, I I started to really learn from the teachers. I had a couple of really, really good high school teachers. Um, one of them uh, gave us these audio cassettes on a book uh, called Psycho-Cybernetics. Oh, yes. And you know, you, you know that book. <laughs> Not too many people know it. Uh, and it's really funny because... The kids hated that book. I mean, they just absolutely hated listening to it. They, they complained constantly. And I didn't understand because I loved it. I thought it was great. It was kind of deep. I, I you know, didn't, didn't fully understand all of it, particularly the book. The audio was, was pretty easy, but the book was a little, a little deep for me as a high school kid. Sure. But I'll tell you what I learned from it. And what I learned from it was... Uh, the, the value of personal development. And so I was 16 years old, maybe 17, and I learned how important personal self-development was. And I fully immersed myself in that, in that book, in, that, in, that, in the concept of psycho-cybernetics, which is, for those of you who don't know, it, it's, it's a book about, it's really kind of a book about the law of attraction before people were talking about the law of attraction. Mm. You know, what, what you, the servo mechanism of the mind is constantly working and what you focus on, you achieve. So, um, you know, and I heard that 40 years ago or more, but I remember it well. And it, it, it helped me learn that self-development was really important. That was probably one of my most important uh, lessons. Oh, fantastic. Um, the, the focus on self-development is key in any career. And uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go along. Let's jump forward a little bit and, and as you consider yourself uh, when you're a young, maybe entrepreneur or executive, 
What was um, the biggest mistake that you made as you now look back that you just attribute to simple inexperience, naivety, uh, and also maybe a, a lesson learned? I mean, where did you start out? What was your first job? Well, my first job um, in management was for the U.S. Department of Commerce. I was a field operations supervisor, and it was really an amazing job. I mean, I, I, I had jobs working my way through college. I was a I worked at a paint and glass store. Uh, I worked at a, you know, grocery stores. I used to stock shelves from midnight till seven in the morning, and then go to college all day. Oh, really? Um, and I was a substitute high school teacher. So, you know, I did a lot of things um, while I was trying to go to school. But my first, you know, professional position was as a field operations supervisor uh, for the U.S. Department of Commerce, and that was an amazing job. I, I think. Um, I think. You know, one of the most if, if when you're young, if you can take a job that just gives you lots of experience, um, jump at it because I didn't get paid much. But man, did I get some experience because it was my first managerial job and I ended up supervising like 300 people. I mean, I had a department that, that ran 300 people, but it was a it was a temporary role. It was only uh, six months to a year. Uh, role with the Department of Commerce. But um, wow, it was an amazing, uh, amazing experience. But I didn't answer your question on what's the one of the biggest challenges or mistakes that I made. I think um, probably the biggest mistake I made, um, you know, I think it was Reagan who used to use the term, Ronald Reagan who used to use the term trust but verify. <laughs> and I think that's an important one. You know, I'm all about, in running a network, I'm about building relationships with people and developing trust. Mm, okay. And I think um, you have to be cognizant of the fact that people will take advantage of you despite the friendship. And so I think one of the most important lessons that I learned early on was uh, it's important to trust people, but it's also important to verify. That is to make sure that that trust is, is, um, is valid. There's a good reason for that trust, and that uh, it hasn't been abused. And then don't be afraid. And, and this would probably be the single biggest mistake. Don't be afraid to fire people um, when you find out that it wasn't. Um, I probably was too lenient on some people, and in every single case that I was too lenient, mm. uh, I ended up regretting it and ended up firing them anyway. Oh, really? Okay. So uh, trust and verify, probably my most important lesson. So you've said verify. Can you give us an example of how would one verify? So I love it. Trust and verify. How? How do you verify? Well, metrics are important in business. You, can, you have to have metrics that you uh, gauge performance with. Sure. And those metrics need to be uh, language that you speak with the people who work for you um, so that you're all on board on what's what the expectations are and so you as the ceo or as a senior manager um you need to really wrap your head around those metrics you need to understand them sure. uh, so let me give you an example of what i'm talking about uh, so for my company the metrics are a, a process we call the traffic lights and if you know if you're a region because we're actually a franchise People own a franchise for BNI. Okay. And if you are if, if you own a region, uh, your region's either in the green, it's in the yellow, it's in the red, or it's in the gray. And obviously, regions in the green are really strong. And we measure that by 
looking at what's the average number of members per chapter, what is the number of chapters in the region, what's the retention rate, uh, what's the market penetration. These four metrics are the lifeblood of success in our organization as a business. And so if your average number of members is low, that's a, that's a flag. And if your um, retention is, is high, that's positive. So you want to look at those metrics and you want to keep people or release people based on those metrics. Sure. Uh, and you need to make sure that everyone is on the same page and in agreement that these are the things they will be measured by. And, oh, by the way, all excuses are equal, you know, with, with really few exceptions. Um, you know, it's, it's a matter of the, of the metrics. And so once you go into that and you're in agreement, then you got to hold people accountable uh, for those. And, um, and if you don't understand the metrics, then you, you, can't, you can't verify. This has been shared with me before, once upon a time, with a, another CEO that I had a discussion with. And uh, what they also said, which I really liked and you got there, was that once you have those metrics in front of you, the confrontation and the expectations, by the way, once the expectations are clear, once you have the metrics in front of in front of you and they've agreed to it, they've seen it, uh, and you're looking at them, the, the confrontation is not uh, emotional. It can be really um, very objective, uh, although the outcome may uh, be a little emotional as well. Yeah, generally, I would agree with that. Um, you know, n- never underestimate the amount of drama that somebody can bring to a situation. So... Um, as much as I'd like to think that the emotion is uh, is uh, not as significant, and it probably isn't as significant, it, it, you sometimes still get the, the drama. Sure. There's a really good book I recommend um, when you're dealing with someone who you, you know you're going to have a conflict with, even if you have the metrics, mm. uh, you know, the data on your side. There's a really good book I recommend. It's called Crucial conversations crucial conversations okay yeah crucial conversations it's a very good book um it's i can't remember the name of the authors but there there are four authors uh that wrote the book and um it's very good when you have a difficult conversation to have with somebody um and and you know it's it's not going to go well unless you're prepared Mm. it helps you really prepare for those conversations okay great thank you well, that brings us to uh, another question which I wanted to pose, and um, you've already given us a, a book, but what don't leadership or management books teach about being a CEO, about being a leader in an organization? Well, I think there's a lot of things um, that, that they don't. Um, they don't teach emotional intelligence. Um, they, they view it as a, a soft science. Um, they don't teach... Adaptive capacity and contextual intelligence. Mm. Let me explain those. Um, so emotional intelligence is um, it's also sometimes called EQ for emotional quotient. So, uh, you know, an IQ measures someone's um, intelligence. And sometimes, you know, companies are looking for people who are smart, not necessarily with a really high IQ, but smart. You might get hired because uh, you have a, you know, because of your IQ, because you're smart, but you're going to get promoted because of your EQ, mm. because your your ability to interact effectively with other people. And so when it comes to leadership, you really have um, what's known as positional power and personal power. 
positional power and personal power. Now, these things are taught in leadership classes, um, and it's the development of that personal power that can help lead you to that positional power. And all of that's part of emotional intelligence, which is not taught in colleges and universities. We don't teach business networking, uh, social capital, emotional intelligence, not taught in books, not taught in school, at least not taught in too many books, definitely not taught in school. Um, so one thing I learned while going to USC from uh, Dr. Warren Bennis, uh, Warren Bennis is one of the world's leading, was one of the world's leading experts on leadership. Did he not just pass recently? He did pass away just recently, yes. Um, and amazing man. Um, I studied under him at USC and um, got to know him better uh, in the last few years. Um, had him speak at um, an event that um, that I was on the board for recently, uh, you know, about a year before he passed away. Um, and, um, uh, and, and I've connected with him multiple times. Uh, and he talked about a couple of things that, really haven't been uh, discussed a lot in leadership or management books, and that's the idea of adaptive capacity and contextual intelligence. Uh, I sit on the board of trustees for a university, uh, University of Laverne, and, and we had him come out and speak. And he said to the audience, um, you have a new university president. And we did at the time. She was just about to start. And uh, he said, she's really well prepared to the audience. He asked this question, hundreds of people. And everyone was like, yeah, she's very well prepared. And she um, she's going to come in on day one and really be ready to take over, won't she? And, you know, the audience was like, yeah, she's an amazing choice. And he looked at the audience and he said, you're all crazy. if You think that's true. You're absolutely crazy because the position is so complex that uh, on her first week on the job, she's going to be hit with something that nobody expected. There'll be a problem that no one even thought of, they didn't think was possible. And so um, nobody can ever be fully prepared. Now, that doesn't mean don't try to be prepared. You have to be as prepared as you can be. However, what makes a great leader, he said, was their adaptive capacity. It's their ability to adapt to particular situations and problems. Perhaps said in a different way, which which is roll with the punches. Yeah, yeah, roll with the punches is a, is is a kind of says it, um, but it's you know roll with the punches could be you know step out of the way. What he's trying to say is understand um, that know that there will be problems you didn't perceive and be as prepared as possible to adapt. Mm. to those problems, not just roll with those problems, but adapt to those problems <clears throat> so that you can solve the issue. And in order to do that, there has to be contextual intelligence, which was the second thing you talked about, contextual intelligence, which means you really have to understand the context of um, the environment, the challenge, the situation, that if you use a cookie cutter approach to leadership and you apply the same techniques to every problem, uh, you're not demonstrating contextual intelligence and you may very well end up um, uh, with a pretty serious problem. And I, I've experienced that myself and understand, you know, learned to understand that, that contextual intelligence can make or break your success uh, in business. Wow, we're getting a lot of uh, really, really good insights here. Thank you. The biggest light bulb moment that you had 
which led to your conceptualization and founding of Business Network International. What was that? Well, I, you know, I, I'd like to tell you that I had this vision of an, of an international business, um, but I didn't. I, I you know, I, as I mentioned briefly, I was really looking to get referrals for my consulting business and, and to help my, my um, friends and associates help them with their business. Uh, I was young. Uh, I started BNI when I was 28 years old. Okay. I think BNI um, is a great example of necessity being the mother of invention. You know, I started BNI because I had a really desperate need to get referrals, uh, but I I wasn't taught this in school as as we talked about earlier. You know, we we don't teach business networking, and so I didn't know how to do it. I was 28. I figured everybody else had it figured out. So what I did was I surrounded myself with people who were older and more successful than me. Almost everyone I had in that first group was more successful than I was. Mm. And so I surrounded myself. I networked up. I surrounded myself with people who were more successful. And I thought they had it all figured out when it came to networking. But I discovered that they didn't. They had no idea mm, that's how to build their business through referrals uh, because, again, because we don't teach this. And so um, I had planned on just having one group, but someone came who couldn't join because BNI, we take only one person per profession in one of our groups. And so someone came. She couldn't join. She said, would you help me open up my own group? And my first answer was, no, I, this isn't what I do. <laughs> you know. Okay. I'm a business consultant. I don't I don't run networks. And she said, well, you know, this is sort of consulting. You're helping us build our business. So I said, okay, it, 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 I'll get I'll give you that. So I opened up the second group to help her out. And um, there were about 25 people who came to that first meeting. Two of them couldn't join because of a conflict in profession with the other 23 people. And both of them said, this is great. I could get a ton of business. Would you help me open up my own group? And I said, no, this isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. And, and they talked me into it. I did it. At the end of the year, and here was the light bulb moment. At the end of the year, uh, and, and every year for many, many, many years, I, I take between Christmas and New Year's, I take off. And I usually, I usually go somewhere. I, I've got a lake house uh, in Southern California now that I go to. I always go there between Christmas and New Year's. But I spend a week and I kind of reflect. Uh, where do I want to go for the next five years? Where do I want my business? Where, where do I want my personal life? You know, what are my goals, objectives? Um, and what happened in the last year that I expected that worked out well? What, what, what were my surprises in the last year? And when I went um, away that week and looked back, it was I was like, you know, hit with a sledgehammer. What the heck just happened? Because I opened... In one year, I forgot to mention, one year I opened 20 groups. Oh, really? Okay. And I did it by accident. It was, you know, I didn't have a plan. And so it was really uh, looking back and acknowledging what just took place and recognizing that I had struck a chord in the business community, that business people really didn't understand how to build their business through referrals. And what little they thought they understood was oftentimes wrong. And, and so it was at that point that I decided the light bulb moment for me was, uh, you know, recognizing that I opened 20 groups without trying 
and, and understanding, you know, what would happen if I really tried. Uh, so I sat down and created a business plan. Uh, I organized it, created manuals and systems and processes and realized that I had to start training people because education is a leaky bucket process. When I train somebody, some of that information leaks out. And when they train someone else, that information leaks out. And if you have too many generations of training, then you have a half a bucket of information and people start making stuff up because it doesn't look right. So I realized that you had to have systems in place that were replicable and scalable. And that all kind of came to me uh, that week in, up at my lake. Well, I didn't have a lake aspect, but up, you know, just away from, uh, from things. Uh, I think I rented a place that week. And so uh, I just, uh, you know, a lot came to, 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 to realization for me. And uh, that's when I decided to uh, make BNI a uh, much larger uh, organization. I thought it might be able to be national. Now, as a matter of fact, just last month, um, BNI became about 51% international. So there are more groups outside the U.S. now than there are inside the U.S. Wow, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. So what sets BNI apart from other services or organizations that are similar? Yeah, well, there's a few things. First of all, some, some groups that um, people think are competitive, we don't view as competitive. For example, chambers, chamber of commerce, we view as a compatible organization, not a competitive. Um, groups like uh, service clubs, Rotary, Lions, Kiwanis, we view those as compatible, not competitive. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, kinds of uh, organizations that might be similar that we actually recommend our members go join because um, because it, uh, it it is a little bit different. Um, now, in terms of groups that are really like BNI, I think the thing that um, sets us aside is, is uh, sort of a recipe. It's not just one thing, but a, a series of things. It's, it's the, the system that we've created, the structure, the process. I mean, we've written everything down. Our executive directors get a 900-page manual. Oh, really? 900 pages? 900-page manual. We, we try to leave very little to chance. Uh, no leaking out of that bucket. We try not to. I mean, there's, you know, when you're dealing with entrepreneurs, it's like herding cats. But we try not to. And so we, ha we have a system. Uh, we, we really have worked to make this scalable. It's locally owned and operated, which is, um, I think, very important. You know, when you have when you have a, a company in Southern California running um, Hong Kong, um, that's a problem unless there's somebody locally in Hong Kong who has ownership. Mm. And so, or, and not just Hong Kong, but Australia and Europe and, and uh, Africa. You know, we're in every populated continent, so you have to have local people as owners and the um, overwhelming majority of the money stays in the country that um, that the service is provided so we give local ownership and, and you know local uh, revenue to the to the local business and and we think that's important beyond that I think there are two other things one is our philosophy as an organization it sets us aside from uh, many other networks and our philosophy is Givers gain. Lovely. Givers gain. If you want to get business from people, you have to be willing to give business to people. It's 
predicated on that age-old idea of what goes around comes around it. If I help you, you'll help me. We all do better uh, as a result of it. Mm. It's about people helping people. And our vision is the last thing. Uh, our, our vision is to change the way the world does business. We, we want to do business in a different way. We want to do business through collaboration and support. Um, it's funny because as I travel around the world, and I, I spent a lot of time in Europe this year, uh, I, I have many people say to me, this, this networking thing, this, you know, being I thing, it's so American. Okay. They often so American. And I always laugh because I, I, I'll say to them, you know, this is the least American thing I've ever done in my life. And they'll say, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, come on. Think about American companies. When you think of American corporations, do you think of cooperation, collaboration? Let me help you. Uh, givers game. And they laugh. <laughs> well, I'm laughing they right now because no. that's not what, what I think of when I think of an American corporation. No, of course not. Of course not. Nobody does. And so this is the least American thing that I've ever done. This is entrepreneurial. Different people, different places, different races, different religions, mm. different countries, different cultures. We all speak the language of referrals. We all want to do business with people we know and trust. Mm. Trust is key for entrepreneurs. And so um, we, our vision is to change the way the world does business and to do that by getting business people together to collaborate and support each other and help build each other's businesses, not just compete. Oh, lovely. That was a, a very thorough and uh, excellent explanation um, of BNI. Thank you. Please finish the sentence. Uh, help us out, us young, naive business networkers who don't really know what we're doing. Here's the sentence. As a business networker, my highest priority is to ensure, and please finish the sentence. Yeah, um, is to ensure that I focus on relationships, not transactions. And um, post, most people don't get this. Uh, they think that networking is a great opportunity for face-to-face -face cold calling. Okay. You know, hi, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. Here, would you like my card? Mm. And they, you know, they go right into sales mode. And let me give you an example. I spoke in London a few years back, and it's a big event, 900 people. Um, uh, it was a, a networking event, and I was the keynote speaker. And in my presentation, I looked to the audience, and I said, uh, how many of you are here today? Raise your hand. If you're here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly sell something, 900 people raised their hand. I mean, mm. every single person in that audience raised their hand. I said, okay, great. Thank you. Second question. How many of you are here today? Raise your hands. If you're here hoping to buy something, no one, not one single person raised their hand. Not one. Mm, that's revealing, eh? It really is. I call this the networking disconnect. People show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody is there to buy. And that's why a lot of people um, – hate networking mm. because you know if they, they look at it as you know and they go to a networking event gareth and they and they feel like um they need a shower afterwards because there's so many smarmy people there that are just trying to sell 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 that's why i hate networking events myself yeah 
yeah. Well, you know, listen, I, I need some of them too. And I run the world's largest network. <laughs> All right. Well, you get people there that are just trying to sell. And when you have that, it, do, it doesn't work. So uh, I, I try to teach people that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. Mm. It's about cultivating relationships with other business professionals. And if you understand that, um, then you stay away from the, the, the hunters uh, and you build relationship with the farmers, the people who are there understanding that it's all about cultivating relationships with people. I like the farmer analogy because really what happens when you connect with some person, you build a relationship of trust, is that they may uh, have a transaction with you eventually. But then when they hear a need or see a need somewhere else, they refer you on, which is a key element of your organization. And they, and then it really becomes a referral tree of sorts. Right. Uh, it does become a referral tree. And, and, and you know, it, it, the problem is that most people are looking for that get-rich-quick scheme. They want that simple answer that will generate business uh, for them immediately. And they don't understand that it's all about building relationships and that that takes time. Hmm. So what are then your three pillars of business networking? Yeah, I think um, there, there's something that I teach that I think is really important. And that is uh, what I call the VCP process. Okay. The v, VCP process that stands for visibility, credibility, profitability. All right. It's, it's a chronological process. Um, and if you don't get this right, nothing else you do with your networking will be successful. You, you got to get this right. So it, um, let, let's walk through it a little. Please. V is, is visibility. Visibility is where people know who you are and they know what you do. When people see you in the community, they, they know you. They recognize who you are. <clears throat> Uh, only when you're at visibility can you then get to credibility. And credibility is where people know who you are, they know what you do, and they know you're good at it. They may know you're good at it because they've seen you operate and they can uh, see that you're very professional, very good. They may know people who've done business with you and you come highly recommended, but you've established credibility. Only when you get to credibility can you then get to profitability, where people know who you are, they know what you do, they know you're good at it, and they're willing to pass you referrals on an ongoing reciprocal basis. Mm, okay. uh, where networking goes wrong is where we were talking about earlier, where you have the networking disconnect. Hi, my name's Ivan. Let's do business. And you try to jump over visibility, jump over credibility, and get right to profitability mm. uh, instead of building the relationship. Um, it's also important to understand that this is not a sales process. This is a referral process. So when I ask audiences, where are you in the VCP process with your clients? They almost always say, well, I'm a profitability. And I'll, I'll say, really? Now think about that. This is a referral process. Are, be honest, are the majority of your clients giving you ongoing referrals? You're really making me think here, by the way. Good. Well, then, <laughs> then I'm doing my job. Uh, <laughs> You know, I'll ask, are the majority of your clients giving you referrals? And most people say, well, no, they're not. Okay, so you're treating VCP like a sales process, not a referral process. Referrals are about farming, not hunting. So it's about building relationships with people so they give you referrals. 
That's what business networking is about. And it is a relational process, not a transactional process. Mm -hmm. Transactional networking is like a coin-operated networking. You stick the coin in, give me the candy. I want something in return right now. That's transactional. Relational is about getting to know people, trust people, and refer people. Mm. Oh, lovely. Ivan, what is the best advice you've ever received? I get some really good advice once from a friend, a business associate who said, um, I, I was really um, stressed out about a situation uh, and, and whether it would um, whether it would play out the way I had hoped or not. And um, he said, look, you know, Ivan, um, every decision you make doesn't have to be the right one. You just need to make more right ones than wrong ones. And when you do make a mistake, um, recognize it and correct it as soon as you can. Um, but don't worry about making mistakes, he said, because you will. It's inevitable. Sure. Uh, it's going to happen. Just, you know, recognize that you want, you want to make more correct mistakes than, than incorrect ones. And, and when you do make a mistake um, or you do something that, you know, you realize was not a, a good direction to go, recognize it as soon as you can and, and fix it. And I thought that was good advice. And it kind of freed me from beating, my, beating myself up on making, um, making mistakes or making, you know, the wrong decision on things. That is great advice. Thank you for that. So then what one habit do you attribute your success to? Well, I think um, a couple of things. One is, I think it's really important to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand, not a thousand things six times. Mm. Do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. And what happens is that um, people keep chasing bright, shiny objects. Ooh, look at that. That let's try that. And you know, you do that. You do that a few times and it doesn't work and go, oh, well, that's not working. Now I'm going to go try this and then I'm going to go try that. Instead, what you want to do is you, you want to take advice from successful people who've been there, who've done it, who give you good ideas, good techniques. You can trust, you trust them, you can trust their technique and then take that idea and do it a thousand times. Just keep plugging away and improving it and improving it and improving it. Um, and I think that's so important. It's one habit that I think um, has definitely attributed, uh, can be attributed to my success. Uh, I, I feel like sometimes I'm a dog with a bone. Hmm. You know, I, I just don't let go. I hang on. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I recognized what I've made of this. I tried to recognize <laughs> what I've made a mistake. But if I really believe that this is going to work and I have evidence to prove it, then I'm like a dog with a bone. I hang on. Uh, until I, I get it to where I, I need to get it. Um, the other thing is, one, one other thing is, I think that the secret to success without hard work is still a secret. Very nice. You know, if you can figure it out, tell me, because I don't, I don't know what it is. And these people who say to you, uh, you know, you can be successful overnight and, you know, it doesn't take hard work, they're lying to you. They're absolutely lying to you. Uh, I tell people I'm a 20 year overnight success. Hmm. It took me 20 years to build a business where I really achieved any level of, um, uh, of you know, success, either financially or or in terms of uh, recognition, name recognition. It, took, it, it takes time. Thank you for that. There are far too many of us and perhaps myself included, certainly at one point in my life. 
where it was all about trying to find that quick answer, the quick fix. How do I do this and get money as fast as I can? Yeah. Well, hey, we've all been there. I get it. Uh, I just uh, I just have found that there really are no no quick answers. Um, it's about doing six things a thousand times. Fantastic advice. Thank you for that. If you could go back in time and give the ambitious 20-year-old you uh, one piece of counsel, what would it be? I mean, it's all linking very closely to what we've been speaking about here, but what counsel would you give, knowing yourself? Yeah, I, I, would, um, I would give myself a heads up on a book that I just wrote because it's, it's absolutely changed uh, my life in many ways. Um, it, it's, it's called Who's in Your Room? Okay. So I would give myself an advanced lecture on who's in your room. And here's how the concept of the, of the book goes. Imagine that you live your life in one room. So if you're listening to this uh, podcast, uh, look around your room. Imagine that's the room you live your life in and that that room has only one door. And that door is an enter-only door. People can enter your room. They can enter your life. But they can never, ever get out. If this were true, would you be more selective about who you let in your room? Gareth, would you be more selective? I think I need to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> well, most people, I, well, actually everybody I've ever asked this question to has said, uh, yeah, I would definitely be more selective about the people I put into my life. And, and so I would say that to my 20-year-old self. Um, be selective about who you let in your room. And in order to do that, you need a doorman. And the doorman, it's, I'm not talking about a real doorman. You don't have to go out and hire a doorman to walk around with you. Sure, sure. But uh, it's sort of a metaphorical doorman. And the doorman is, is your conscious thought about, and, and unconscious thoughts, about the people that you want close to you. And it should be based on um, your values as an individual, as a person. Um, your, your, your professional values, your personal values. Um, and you want people who have values that are congruent with yours. Now, sometimes mis people misunderstand me here. I'm not saying you have to surround yourself with people who have the exact same values. That is not at all what I'm saying. Okay. I am saying, however, that you want to surround yourself with people who have values that are congruent with your values. Mm. For example, one of the things that just drives me crazy are people who have tons of drama in their life. Mm. And it, I mean, everybody's got a little drama. I get that. Sure. But it just spills over to everything they do. And it's not just a piece of their life. You know, we all go through personal issues that creates drama. But, I mean, it's, it's lifelong drama. And it's always, you know, pre prevails in every discussion with them. And it, it's always driven me crazy. Yet, despite that, I was stupid and I let people into my life that came with tons of drama. Mm. And I let them into my life because on paper, they looked like a good fit. They had the right 
um, background. They had the right skill set. They had the right knowledge. And I would bring them into projects in my business because they looked good on paper and I figured I could deal with the drama. Man, was I wrong. I was so totally wrong. And, and I, I would love to tell my 20-year-old self that and say, pick people that you really, really uh, feel are congruent with your values, not, not ones that are so incongruent that it's going to make your life miserable. Be selective as to who's in your room because the quality of your life depends on the people in your life. Well, you've answered the next question, which is, which book do you recommend to all future CEOs? So we definitely need to read Who's in Your Room. Well, you'll have a hard time finding it. You can get it on BNI.com. I'll tell you why. Um, so far, the only version of the book is a BNI version. So it's a little bit BNI centric. But my co-authors and I, uh, Stuart Emery is uh, one of my co-authors, uh, and uh, he and I are working on a public version okay. of the book that will be available in bookstores and Amazon. But the the um, the BNI version is available now on BNI.com. It's not for sale at Amazon yet, but uh, but it will be in the, when we have the public version. Sure. Uh, there's some other books I recommend. Um, you know, a couple of books uh, that I think are really good. I mentioned one, Crucial Conversations. Uh, that's a, a really really good book. Uh, another one is a book by a good friend of mine, Dr. Mark. McCurgow. Um, it, it's called Solutions Focus. Solutions Focus. Really good book. Uh, I'll give you. A, I'll give you a couple of sentence synopsis. Um, it, basically, if if all you focus on are problems, you become an expert on problems. Mm. You don't become an expert on solutions. Very nice. It's very powerful. <clears throat> what he teaches in the book is um, you have to focus on solutions. <clears throat> Nothing wrong with recognizing that you got a problem. But um, once you recognize what the problem is, then you have to spend all of your energy focusing on the solution. Because if all you do is focus on that problem, then you're just going to, you know, you just know your problem inside out, but you won't know how to fix it. And so it's all about fixing uh, the problems, not, not just recognizing them. So those are a couple of books I recommend. Uh, Success Principles by um, by uh, uh, Jack Canfield is another great book. Um, a couple of books I've written that, that uh, people might find of value. Um, the World's Best Known Marketing Secret. Uh, that's a really good book on, on biz building a business network. Okay, lovely. And another book I recommend is Masters of Success. Uh, that's another book I wrote, Masters of Success. It... Uh, it's got 80 contributing authors to the oh, book really? okay. uh, who all contribute stories. Yeah, really, it's, a, it's a fun, easy read, but it really teaches you a lot about success. All right. Well, maybe one final question, and we may have touched on this in the beginning, but it's worth repeating. So many of our listeners are going to be still busy with uh, university, perhaps, or some kind of formal qualification and advanced degree. What would you recommend they be studying over and above these formal qualifications? Well, look, you know, I, I have 10 years of college, so I, I recommend uh, advanced degrees. I recommend university uh, training. So I, 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 even though we don't teach my field in, in, in school, I think that going to, uh, for advanced degrees is important. That said, I don't think you end there. Um, I think... You know, learning, 
if you want to be successful in business, I believe lifelong learning is important, which means you want to immerse yourself, uh, immerse and engage in a culture of learning, reading books, listening to podcasts like this. This is all part of uh, one's education, I think. Mm. And, you know, of course, of course, you know, I'm singing to the choir because I'm singing to the people who are listening. So they get it. Oftentimes it's the people who don't listen to podcasts like this and don't read books that, that really, you know, don't understand the importance of it. Uh, Benjamin Franklin once said, if I empty my purse into my head, I will be giving myself something that no one can ever take away. And that is knowledge. And I really agree with that the sentiment that, that and, and today you don't have to empty your purse into your head, you know, with with uh, the Internet. There's so much content available online uh, through things like this. That you can you can invest in yourself and your knowledge and your education, but constantly improving your game. And if you're constantly improving your game, um, you're going to be increasingly successful. Um, I'm 58 years old, and I still am investing in knowledge. Uh, and I think I think you need to do that um, all the way through your life if you want to continue to be successful. Dr. Ivan Meisner, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any parting thought, any final word to our future CEOs community? Yeah, I think um, one of the things I've learned in the last 30 years of running the world's largest network is that it's, it's not what you know or who you know. You know the expression, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm-hmm. It, it's, to me, it's not what you know or who you know, it's how well you know each other that really counts. Okay. It's about building some deep relationships with key people in your life that um, that can really carry you through difficult times and help you uh, when through through successful times as well. Um, it, it if your network is a mile wide and an inch deep. It's not very powerful that your network is powerful if it is both wide and deep Mm. in some places But you want roots that go deep with some people. So it's not just the number of Facebook contacts you have or LinkedIn contacts you have. It's not just the number of business cards that you collect. It's the number of uh, deep relationships and how deep they are that really make a difference in your success, I believe. Dr. Meisner, we've had a tip a minute and insight every other second with you. Thank you very, very much for coming on to Future CEOs, sharing your wisdom, sharing your experience and being such a great guest. Hey, my pleasure. Happy to do it anytime. It was a a real uh, pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much. So I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Meisner as much as I did. If you'd like to get into contact with him or his organization, please go to bni.com. Or alternatively, he's very active on his own personal blog, which can be found at ivanmeisner.com. All right, it's great to have been with you. I'll be with you tomorrow as I sit with another CEO, thought leader, industry expert, and explore with them what has made them successful and what we can learn from them. Thanks for joining us today on Future CEOs, and we hope you're feeling inspired and ready to take action. 
head over to future-ceos.com for show summaries, recaps, articles, and other resources aimed at fast-tracking your rise to CEO status. To make it even easier for you, simply sign up for our weekly newsletter and we'll keep you up to date on all interviews, special guest appearances, new developments, and more.